going to read God's word together. Today's scripture reading, it comes from 1 Corinthians, the very last bit of chapter 12 through verse 5 of chapter 13. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And our passage for this morning, it keeps no record of wrongs. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated now. Love keeps no record of wrongs. That sounds really nice sounds beautiful, doesn't it? It sounds like the kind of thing that you might find on the inside of a greeting card or something. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And in fact, it is very beautiful. It's an incredible statement. We're going to unpack it and you'll see there's a, a whole lot to it. But it is also incredibly complex. The longer you live, the more you encounter pain the more you deal with deceit and betrayal in your own life, the more you witness the injustice that happens in this world, the more you find out your own capacity to harm other people, this statement gains a lot of weight. It's not an abstract concept. It is real. And it's very complicated. The practice of forgiveness, well, it's harder than it sounds. And yet, there are very few things that are more central to our faith. There are very few things that are more central to Christianity. Our willingness, our ability to forgive is something that Jesus pointed out as an evidence that we actually know him. When Jesus taught us to pray, remember, he told us that we should pray, forgive us our debts in the same way that we forgive our debtors. So it shouldn't be a surprise then when we get to this list, this list that teaches us how do we love people like Jesus loves, that we find forgiveness is right in the middle of it. It's an essential part of loving like Jesus loves. So let's talk about it. This morning, I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about the problem with forgiveness, the paradox of forgiveness, and then the price of forgiveness. And forgiveness, like I said, it's a loaded topic. I don't think one sermon is enough to answer most of the questions that you might have about this subject. So if you're here and you're looking for more, if you didn't feel like what I'm saying this morning adequately covers everything, I can tell you it won't. But you can check out this book 
uh, by Tim Keller that recently came out called Forgive. I read through this whole thing this week, and a lot of what he says in there is informing this sermon, uh, but it's 200 pages, and I got 30 minutes. So check that out if, if you want to look uh, learn more about it. But for us this morning, in order for us to talk about forgiveness, I want us to start with a couple of what I think are necessary correctives. Uh, and the first one is this. To forgive someone does not mean that you forgo justice. To forgive someone does not mean that you have to forgo justice. If you were to pluck this phrase out of the scripture and just read it out of context, reading, love keeps no record of wrongs, well, that could lead to some horrible injustice, right? That could lead to some uh, incredible abuse in the world. This phrase, it doesn't mean that if you love somebody, you ignore evil. That if you love somebody, that you pretend like the bad things just never happened. The Bible, thankfully, is full of teaching on forgiveness. And those teachings, they are radical in their requirements, but none of them say that when you forgive someone, you excuse evil. Even God himself, when he declared himself to Moses in the book of Exodus, do you remember what he said about himself? He said, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And then what does he say right after that? Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. A good God has to punish evil if he's good. A good God, yes, he can forgive our sins, but he is also a God of justice. And all throughout scripture, we find these various accounts where he actually confronts his own people for their oppression, for their injustice, and he calls them to account for it. It's not contrary to love, is what I'm saying. And I say that so that we recognize as we study this call to forgiveness that you aren't supposed to just ignore the horrific things that have happened to you. If you're the victim of abuse, for instance, part of that work of love for you may mean to pursue justice. It might mean contacting the police or other authorities. That's not contrary to forgiveness. Actually, what scripture could show us is that's a necessary step towards forgiveness. It is loving to call people into account when they are doing harm. It's loving to the victim. It's loving to the rest of society to protect us from that person. And it's even loving to the perpetrator because it gives them the chance to face the consequences of their actions. It gives them a chance to change. It gives them a chance to repent. It gives them a chance to grow. So that's the first corrective there. Love doesn't mean that we forgive justice. And the second thing is that Forgiveness is multifaceted. Now, what I have up here is not what I just said, because I changed it since I wrote it. But there you go. Forgiveness is multifaceted. I'm saying the same thing, but this is better. Forgiveness is multifaceted. It's often the case that the person you are called to forgive 
is unwilling to acknowledge they've done anything wrong. Have you ever experienced that? How can you forgive somebody who is continuing to do harm? I, I know about a, a man who confronted his father after growing up with years of alcoholism and, and verbal abuse in their home. And when he did, his father, he didn't take any responsibility whatsoever. He blamed the other people in his life. He blamed his circumstances. He minimized all that behavior. He said, you're overreacting. Or I know of another woman who confronted her friend who was doing a lot of damage through, through gossip, through these outrageous social media posts. But instead of the friend apologizing, they doubled down. They did it even more. So how do you forgive that? Or what if you're in a situation where the person who you need to forgive has died? Or what about if you're a victim of war? Or random violence? What have you been harmed by just the injustices of society? How do you forgive when there is not just one person responsible? And here's what I mean by multifaceted. When, when scripture talks about forgiveness, it's actually referring to a couple of different things. There is an internal aspect of forgiveness... And then sometimes when scripture talks about forgiveness, it's talking about an external process that involves reconciliation and involves renewal of relationship. Now that first piece, that inward forgiveness, that's something we absolutely must pursue. That inward forgiveness within our heart is something that must take place in your own heart before the Lord. And then the external forgiveness, well, that should also take place. In a perfect world, that would always take place. And that would include healthy confrontations. It would include pursuing reconciliation. It would include, ultimately, a renewal of that relationship. But this isn't a perfect world. And those things are not always possible. That's just the facts. Full reconciliation, you know, the other person, they might withhold that from you. Or maybe it would be even dangerous for you to try to pursue reconciliation in certain situations. That's why this is kind of a challenging concept to preach on really broadly on a Sunday morning. Because uh, each case is a little different, right? Each case requires prayer. It requires discernment. There's nuance involved here. I'd say it even requires the counsel of other people in your life who knows what's going on to help you determine the best approach. And so, with those couple of, of caveats out of the way, I want to spend the rest of our time talking about why it is so crucial that we do forgive. I've called this the paradox of forgiveness. You know, we have a, a couple of caveats here that I just laid out, but, but make no mistake... The Bible's teaching on forgiveness is radical. It is incredibly demanding. It is otherworldly. Let me just read to you a couple of the passages in Scripture where Jesus talks about forgiveness. He says, 
Watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you and saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Matthew chapter 18. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, Jesus taught in these passages that that we should be a people who are forgiving in abundance. A people who are forgiving frequently. Not just seven times, right? He says 77 times, meaning you should never stop. And maybe you're listening to those verses and it says, well, I saw that it said in there, if the person comes to you and says, I repent. You know, it'd be a lot easier if every time they sinned against me, they'd come and say, I repent. But, you know, the person I'm thinking of never does that. Well, let's read a couple more verses. (laughs) Jesus says, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. So that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Matthew 5. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go and be reconciled to them. And then come and offer your gift. So now there's really no way to escape. He is saying that regardless of the posture of that other person, you're called to forgive. If you're at odds with someone, you are called to forgive. If someone has a problem with you, you're called to forgive. And if you hear that, if you read those verses and you are overwhelmed by that, I want you to know, first of all, that I understand. I feel the intensity of that too. Some of the hurts that we have in life are incredibly painful. And forgiveness, it often feels like the least natural response. There's a person in my life that it has taken me years of difficult work to forgive. And to be honest, It's a process that I'm not totally done with. I I am still actively in counseling, trying to work through some stuff. I'm still trying to prepare myself for some conversations that we need to have that I'm just not quite ready for. But if this passage, if these passages, they tell us anything, it's that we cannot give up on the pursuit. Forgiveness is absolutely necessary. Not just for the other person, but for us as well. The reason Jesus was so unrelenting in these teachings on forgiveness is because he knows that for us, unforgiveness is a prison. Unforgiveness is a prison. You may think that it gives you some kind of control. It feels like that, right? But it's actually the opposite. As you 
replay those conversations in your mind. Those interactions. As you stoke that anger in your heart by going back to those moments. As you let the memories of that pain change your behavior. Change your personality. As we let it impact the way we love other people or our ability to trust new people. The power that you might think you're holding out over that person is actually holding you. And that's what I mean when I say the paradox of forgiveness. We think we're in control of the situation. But actually, the situation is consuming us. It's a prison. And we're the ones locked inside. In our passage this morning, Paul says, love keeps no record of wrongs. In another place, he says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, sometimes that command, that call, is really painful. Sometimes it seems almost impossible. But I want to give you a couple of practical steps here. Uh, Some things that I've found meaningful and beneficial in my own pursuit of forgiveness. And so here they are. First, The first one is simple. It's begin with prayer. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you struggle to forgive somebody, you are invited You are even commanded to come to the Lord with that. You know, we have a living God. God already knows what your thoughts are. (laughs) He already knows your heart. He knows what struggles you're dealing with. Talk to him about it. Get honest with him. Have a conversation with him about how you're feeling. Say, Lord, I know you call me to forgive, but I can't. I don't want to. I'm still really angry. Bring it to him. He can handle it. He's God. Ask him to meet you there and to heal your heart. Ask him to to give you the strength to pray for the other person. Ask him to get you to that place where you could actually seek their blessing, even when they seek your harm. Maybe that's where you have to begin. But prayer, it's a powerful thing. And it will change you. That's why we're so serious about it. That's why I'm trying to get you all to come and pray with me on Tuesday morning. Prayer is an amazing gift to us. God will use it to change our hearts. But if you can't get there, that's the first first thing I'd recommend. Begin with prayer. And the second practical tip is this one. Forgiveness is usually granted before it's felt. Tim Keller, he says that forgiveness is not primarily and originally an emotion. Forgiveness is granted sometimes a long time, a good while, before it's felt. 
It's not felt before it's granted. It's likely that you have always thought, well, I have to feel it before I grant it. I have to start feeling less angry before I start to to let go. But here, listen to this. He says, if you wait to feel it before you grant it, you'll never grant it. Again, here's that paradox I'm talking about. When you withhold forgiveness, it seems like you're in control, but the pain is actually controlling you. Unforgiveness becomes this kind of poison that destroys you slowly from the inside. It cuts off your relationships. It distorts your perspective of others. It hardens your heart. Our passage says it's, it's the opposite of love. But on the other hand, when you give up that power, when you release that person in your heart, even before you feel ready to do it, when you trust God to bring healing, even before you're ready for it emotionally, when you set them free, you will be the one who is set free. That's the paradox. Now let's talk about the price. This is kind of the main point. This is where we've been trying to get the whole time. Forgiveness is costly. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we've been having these vision meetings on Saturday mornings. And as I was heading out uh, to go to the meeting, my next-door neighbor backed out into my car while I was at the edge of the driveway. And it dented up my, like, back hatch, and it broke my tail lights. And I was in such a rush, I was just like, hey, you know, we'll deal with this later, you know. Uh, and, and we both drove on. But as the day went on, and I started to think about the guy and what I knew about him and some of the stuff their family had been through lately, and I was thinking about burden financially it was going to be on them and just the awkwardness of getting insurance companies involved with our our neighbor relationship I just I just decided to let it go now in that moment when I made that choice his debt was forgiven he was off the hook right he didn't have to to pay for anything but his debt wasn't erased Because I've still got to deal with it, right? And there's a couple of ways I can do that. I can either pay the $3,000 or whatever it's going to cost to fix the back of my car. Or I can do what my son has already told me I'm going to do. Which is just drive around with it broken forever because I'm a cheapskate. (laughs) But either way, there's a cost. Either way, I'm, I'm choosing to bear that burden. Just because he was forgiven, the cost doesn't go away. Somebody always pays. Forgiveness always has a cost. So the question for us as we look at this difficult commandment, <clears throat> how do we find the strength 
Where do we get the resources that we need to forgive? Where do we get the resources to absorb the debt that we know that other person owes us? Well, of course, the answer is we have to see how much we've been forgiven. See, the gospel message is nothing if it's not that. It's, it's the message of God's forgiving love. It tells us about how in the person of Jesus, God has chosen to forgive our sins by paying for them himself. He chose to bear the cost. That's the message. He paid the debt that we owe, even though it meant he would have to pay with his life. Even though the cost was his death on a cross. And it's because of that payment that we're released. By his blood, we've been set free. Now, if that sounds simple to you, if you've heard all that before because you've been around church or, or, or whatever, then if it sounds small, I just want to say you don't know how much of a debt you owed. Christ's forgiveness is so much more than you could ever possibly imagine. Just think about it. Every offense, every wrong, every hurt, every misdeed, every gross and twisted thought that you've ever had, all those things were ultimately against him. Think about who Jesus is, right? This is the list. This is what his love is like. This is his character. Love is patient. His love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. That's who Jesus is. Now compare that with your own heart. Compare that with your own ability to wound other people. Your own stubbornness. Your own lack of love. Now as you think about those two things, how wide is the gap. But here's the beauty. When we come to him in faith, that gap is not there to condemn you. It's just to show you how great of a savior you really have. It just makes the cross bigger when we see how far apart we were. It makes the payment all that more impressive. That is the Savior's love for you. And you know, that's a love that's not theological. That's not abstract. That's not way out there. It's available for you right now, here, today, in this room. If you'll just come, if you'll just confess your sins before him, if you would call him your Savior, Scripture tells us that he keeps no record of wrongs because... He's nailed them to the cross. And if you receive that love, if you have received that love in your own life, then that should enable you to love others. That's actually the kind of love we're called to show everybody else. And I'll say, to keep no record of wrongs, it doesn't mean he's calling us to amnesia, right? 
We don't have to pretend like the offense never took place. But it's a call to do what Jesus has done for us. To set the prisoners free. From now on to behave in a way that we are no longer controlled by their past actions. That we don't love them in light of the hurt that they've dealt. But instead, we forgive our debtors as we have been forgiven. So what about you? What about us? As you come here into this room to worship, like Jesus says, as you stand praying, is there anybody who you're holding hostage in your heart? Maybe it's somebody in the room. I don't know. Maybe it's somebody in your family. Somebody in this community. Is there somebody out there where you have this record and you're holding on to it? Refusing to let it go. If that's you today, I want to invite you first see Jesus. I want to invite you to look at him and, and see his love for you. I want you to see that he has let your record go. And then I want you to confess. I want you to admit that's where you are. And if you, if you can find it in yourself to lift that other person up to him. And ask that he would help you. That he would bless them. Loving like Christ loved is a really heavy call. But I also want you to know it's a, a really hopeful one. In this world that we live in, this world that is so torn apart, that's so divided, where there's so many lines drawn in the sand and everybody has dug in their heels, what would it be like to live in a community where you could really expect forgiveness? Where you could come into this space and you could admit your mistakes, you could admit your failures, and you could know that you're not going to be cast out. Where you can bring up difficult things with the people around you, and you can expect that the outcome is going to be reconciliation, not separation. That can happen here. In fact, it can only happen here. The church is the only place where we have these kind of resources. And you know what? I believe it will. By God's grace, it will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for the resources that you give us in the gospel and by the power of your Holy Spirit. I know that there are people here who I can't even fathom the depths of what they've been through. I know that there's a long list of, yeah, but playing through our minds right now. I pray for your wisdom. I pray for your protection. I pray that people would gain the courage to pursue justice where they need to. But Lord, I pray each and every one of us today would begin the work of forgiveness in our hearts, that you'd set us free, that your grace and your mercy would be so real 
that it controls us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.